Love those words from Jason last week. Uh, I want to welcome all of you at all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. Way to go. I also want to welcome those of you watching online around the country and world. Always glad to welcome you as a part of our congregation. And today is Veterans Day. So would you please, at all campuses, deep, deep gratitude to all of our veterans. Would you just give them a, a hand of applause? Deep gratitude. Deep gratitude. We have, we have service men and women watching right now around the country and world, and I get emails from you on a regular basis, as does Jason, so we just want to welcome you, and we pray for our service people around the world today. Hey, you know, the most important question uh, in November for Minnesotans is not, did you vote? The most important question is not, have you made plans for Thanksgiving, although I'm sure many of you did, and I hope most of you did vote. The most important question in November for Minnesotans is what? Did you get your deer? Some of you know that. That's awesome. <laughs> you might say, but Bob, I just got married. Yeah, but did you get your deer? <laughs> we just had a baby. Yeah, but did you get your deer? I, I did not get my deer. All I saw was a cat. <laughs> I don't know why. This has never happened to me on opening morning. It's all I saw was a black cat. Uh, I sort of made up for it a couple days later. But it's been a fantastic couple of weeks for other reasons. Two weeks ago, Dave Ramsey was with us, and thousands of you signed up for Financial Peace University because you said, you know what, it's time. We are done with debt. It's time to start saving and gain financial strength. So proud of you for doing that. Then last week, Jason challenged us to tithe 10% of our income that God has given us everything we have. God has given each of us life, breath, intelligence, strength, ability to earn, and all God asks in return is to put him first. Put him first in everything in our life, starting with the 10% of what we earn. My wife and I have done this all our lives, and God, I'm telling you, God has so blessed us, we would never think not to tithe. So today is the final message in our series called One by One. We called it that because God changes this sad, sorry world one person at a time. We understand that every person here and watching online is a real person with a real life, with a real name, and a real family and real struggles and hopes and dreams. Each one of you is someone who God deeply loves. I hope you know that. God knows you intimately. He knows everything about you and he loves you. And God wants to restore you and redeem your life and then use you to impact other people. The purpose of our lives is not just to play golf and watch TV but to make a lasting difference in somebody's life. So our mission in this church is to reach people. Reach one person, one family, one community at a time with the love of Jesus by putting a campus within a 20-mile drive of every person in the Twin Cities, but it's gonna take all of us to sacrifice something. I've told you this before, but there was a 17-year-old boy who was in love with a 17-year-old girl way back in high school, 44 years ago, and don't try to guess who the boy and girl are because that's not important. But this boy, 
discovered that this girl liked flowers and that if he got her some flowers, it would touch her heart and score some points with her. The problem was he was very frugal and flowers seemed so wasteful to him. Isn't that true, guys? I mean, just... But not to worry because this boy was also very resourceful and creative. It so happened that this kind and creative boy lived near a cemetery. True story. Yeah, they groaned last night too. And whenever this boy walked past this cemetery, he could see several piles of freshly cut flowers lying on the ground that had already been used and would just wilt and die anyway. So one day, he stopped by the cemetery and he selected a few flowers, made a nice bouquet, and that evening, he gave them to this girl who he loved. But she was not impressed. <laughs> she sensed something was off because they didn't look like normal flowers. They weren't wrapped in frilly paper in a nice box from a store. Frankly, they looked like funeral flowers to her. So when the boy asked her why she wasn't impressed, she said it's because she knew where he got him and that she was a little creeped out by it. <laughs> and that it didn't cost him anything. But he said it was the thought that counted. And did she really want him to go to a store and spend good money on flowers? Did she really want him to do something that was inconvenient and costly? You know what she said? Yes. Why did she say yes? Because that's what love does. Love sacrifices. Well, eventually the boy and girl got married. And now he sometimes does buy flowers for her at Sam's Club <laughs> when they're out shopping for groceries. She's got a ways to go, but a true sacrifice, isn't this true, costs us something. Toward the end of his life, King David built an altar of worship to God. And one of David's servants said, David, here's one of my oxen. You can offer and slaughter one of my oxen so you won't have to use one of yours in worship to God. Love what David said. He said this, I will not sacrifice to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. David knew that a gift that cost him nothing was like no gift at all. And by the way, I know that all of you know about sacrifice. If your kid is in hockey or in gymnastics, you know all about sacrifice. You'll drive all over creation. You'll take out a second mortgage to make that happen, even though they won't get past peewees. If you get a chance, it's true. If you get a chance to hunt elk in Montana, you will scrimp and save to make that happen, to come up with the cash. If it's a second home or vacation, you'll work extra hours, you'll sacrifice everything to pull that off. We all know about sacrifice. We all know you have to give something up to gain something better, but the question is, are we willing to sacrifice and do that to redeem someone's life, to save someone's soul, to restore their marriage, heal their family, give them hope. David said, I will not. I won't do it. Sacrifice to the Lord something that costs me nothing. So I'm gonna give you two reasons today why I think every single one of us 
should sacrifice something. The first reason is this. Prevention beats intervention every single time. Let me explain this. You know, most, most people, when it comes to giving or sacrificing, are emotional responders. They're emotional givers. They'll see a photo of destruction from a hurricane. They'll see people in poverty, and they'll respond with a gift, and that's a good thing. We should all be moved to give toward worthy causes. In fact, a few years ago, uh, we, uh, we did a child sponsorship for our work in Mozambique, Africa, and we showed a video of a little orphan girl who was rolling out her mat at night to sleep on the street. And it was very emotional. And after that service, we invited people to, to consider sponsoring a child, and the response in this church was overwhelming. In one weekend, the people in this church sponsored 4,000 kids in Mozambique. And many of us continue to do that to sponsor kids. $1.2 million goes out of this church every single year to sponsor kids. So proud of you for doing that. And that's a great thing. But my daughter, I'll never forget this, came up to me after that service just in tears. And she said, Dad, I want to sponsor 10 kids, which was $370 a month. I said, Meg, I'm so proud of you, but you first have to have a job. And so he talked her down to two kids, which we had to sponsor forever until she and her husband had an income. But that's an example of intervention giving, and we should all do it when a crisis happens. But how long did it take our church to sponsor 4,000 kids in one weekend? You say, well, Bob, it just took us one weekend. Actually, it took us 25 years to get to a point of scale where we could finally sponsor 4,000 kids. It took us 25 years to get to a point where we could collect 16 tons of food for the Twin Cities food shelf in one weekend. It took us 25 years to get to a point to support over 20,000 orphans in Nicaragua every single month, feed, clothe, and educate these orphans every single month. $300,000 a year goes out from this church. It took us 25 years to put a church in the poorest district in Haiti. It took us 25 years to build a student ministry that draws nearly 2,000 students, teenagers, every Wednesday night. Where does that happen on the planet? But it's happening here. It's taken us that long because of a different kind of giving called prevention giving. Intervention giving is great, and we should all do it, but prevention giving goes back to the thousands of you who've been in our church for maybe 5, 10, 20 years and have been prevention givers from day one. So grateful for you. Prevention giving says this, I'm gonna give a percentage of my income to a church so they can buy land, build buildings, hire staff, create world-class children and student ministries, and provide a worship experience that my dad actually wants to come to. That my 20-something actually can't wait to get to. That my spouse or daughter is excited to be a part of. It's to prevent brokenness 
addiction, divorce, abortions, and people falling through the cracks. It's when every month I give a percentage of my income purely out of obedience to Jesus Christ who saved my life. And it's not flashy, and it's not emotional, but gang, I'm telling you, it's the reason we have a campus here in Lionel Lakes. You know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, we were busting at the seams over at White Bear Campus doing seven services back to back to back. It was just killing our staff. We barely survived it. So a group of us took out a mortgage, get this, of $30 million and basically risked our careers so that all of you and all of your kids and family and friends could have a place to worship on the north side of the Twin Cities. And today, Lionel Lakes is debt-free. And I thank God for that. It's the reason you all have a building at Spring Lake Park and why you have a campus in Blaine and why we could expand that Blaine campus from 850 seats just this fall to 1,500 seats with $14 million that's gonna reopen in December. So all you Blaine people, go back to Blaine. We love you, but you know. But I'm telling you, the reason we, you have a campus in Blaine is because a bunch of people sacrificed and prayed and gave so you'd have a church to go to. And you and Woodbury, eight years ago, we bought 80 acres in Woodbury and a bunch of families sacrificed again. And we raised $20 million for our Woodbury campus that was a $30 million project. Some of you over there in Woodbury don't even know that we still have a mortgage on that campus that'll be paid off in two years by people who practice non-flashy, non-emotional prevention giving. And then we swung back to Anoka. The reason you all have a campus in Anoka and not a blue light special Kmart anymore, which was awful, <laughs> is because we sacrificed again and raised $18 million in cash, debt-free. But it wasn't free. A bunch of people gave. So you'd have a parking place to park in today and a seat to sit in and great staff and spaces for your kids. Just parenthetically, <laughs> Do you all know what it costs our church to you know, remove the snow from a snowstorm, a single snowstorm, seven campuses? You know what that bill is? $40,000 for a single storm just to plow snow from our campuses. Kills me every time. Hate it. But we do it. Why do we do it? Why do we sacrifice, give work, and do everything we can to put a campus near you? Why? I don't know if you've noticed, but our society is in trouble. Marriages struggling. More and more kids being raised without parents at home or single parent homes, and so proud of you single parents trying to do that. Substance abuse is just rampant. Violence in our schools and on our streets and a university culture that attacks students who are Christians and belittles them and makes fun of them and thinks they're small-minded, it's awful. The culture on our university campuses in America today is awful. And I've talked about this before. I've been there. I've been to Penn State University 
and saw it firsthand even way back when. The culture on our university campuses are anti-God and anti-whatever is moral and good. You send a student to one of our university campuses today at great risk. Now, we have some great educators in our public schools and around, and I praise God for those of you who are believers and trying to make a, make a difference and a dent. Way to go. But I pray for our schools. I pray for our, our country and our culture. Now, what's the solution for all this? Is the government going to help this and solve this? Will the Democrat and Republican Party, you know, fix our schools and our culture? You know, is our schools, our schools going to teach our kids to honor God, respect authority, and follow the Ten Commandments? I mean, heaven forbid that we teach our students not to lie, cheat, steal, and kill. You know, take those commandments down. Will traveling hockey keep your kids sober and spiritually strong? Probably not. Maybe traveling basketball, but not hockey, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Can money save the day? Can a business or an entertainment redeem a human life? I'm telling you, only the church, only God through the church can turn an unbelieving, overindulged, self-destructive person into somebody who loves God and blesses others. Many of you got your lives changed right here in one of these seats and found Christ. And you're never the same after that in a good way. And it happened because somebody sacrificed for you. Someone practiced prevention giving so you'd have a place to go to get a chance to know God. But that leads to an important insight. You know, it's really hard to measure the results of prevention giving. Intervention, easy to measure because you can quantify it. You know, 4,000 kids sponsored in a day, 16 tons of food given a day, 20,000 orphans sponsored every year, sheltered every, every month in Nicaragua. Easy to measure intervention giving, but not prevention. For example, how many people have avoided divorce over the past 25 years because they got help from this church? How many families didn't get blown apart because moms and dads found Christ here and committed to living God-honoring lives? How many teens avoided addictions and a host of other soul-damaging maladies? How many college students set them up for a great future because they were taught in this church to stay spiritually and relationally pure? How do you measure that? You can't. I mean, for every heart-wrenching story about someone who's been to hell and back, there's 50 happy, boring stories in our church about people who avoided all that. Got an email from a couple I married 31 years ago. It was in my first church in Fallen, Wisconsin. In this email, they, they now attend Eagle Brook. It started this way. She says, Bob, not sure you remember us, but you married Kip and me 31 years ago. And I was expecting her to say, you know, marriage fell apart, kids are a mess. Instead, she writes this, just checking in 31 years later to tell you how happy we are. Three great kids, our college-age son downloads, downloads, downloads your podcast all the time, letting you know we love our Woodbury campus. Thanks for being there all these years. I love that. Those are the kind of happy, boring stories 
We want to hear more of. And for those of you who've been on the receiving end of church way too long, or maybe tossing a five or a 10 once in a while, I'm going to ask you to stop tipping and start giving to put a campus in Wyzetta just like someone built for you. And for those of you at Spring Lake Park, Blaine, Woodbury, and Oka, what if we would have said, you know what? We're tired of raising money. We're tired of building buildings. We're done doing that. Let somebody else worry about you people. Where would you be today? Where would your family and friends be? The parking place you parked in today, every one of us. The building we walked into, the music that inspires us, the messages that guide us, and the seat we're sitting in right now was all provided by somebody who sacrificed. The question is, will you do the same for somebody else? Will you practice prevention giving? Second reason I think all of us ought to sacrifice, it's for a greater joy than you can possibly imagine. What we're trying to do is raise $32 million to build a permanent campus in Wyzetta. And the reason we're doing that is because there's a bunch of sinners over there. <laughs> and if you live in Wyzetta and Plymouth, you know that. <laughs> but actually, studies show 70% of the people on the west side of the Twin Cities don't go to church. Seven out of 10 are unchurched and have little or no relationship with God. But we, our church can change that. We also want to improve our White Bear campus because there's been a wave of new homes and young families who've moved into White Bear and our campus there is getting a little tired and old. We want to update that. So we want to upgrade the worship and lobby area. There's a little shot of that to expand our reach in White Bear and re-energize that, that campus. Now gang, $32 million, a lot of money, but we can do it if we do it together. The good news is that $7 million has already been set aside, has already been given by those of you who tithe and just non-flashy, week after week, month after month, preventative giving. Why should we do it? Again, for a greater joy than you could possibly imagine. Look what Paul says in Hebrews. Let us fix our eyes on our leader, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the pain. Jesus endured the cross for a greater joy. What joy? What was worth being beaten, spit upon, humiliated, and then crucified on a cross to die? What could possibly be worth all of that? What was the joy set before Jesus? It was us. It was us. Jesus gave up his life and paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven and saved and restored. And if Jesus did that for us, what might we be willing to do for the salvation of thousands of people on the west side. What's that worth? Or maybe about maybe your kids who don't go to church yet or grandkids or a friend who's far from God. What sacrifice would be worth their life? Imagine if that person came to one of our campuses, accepted Christ, and began a new life in him. I am telling you, gang, your greatest joy would not be that you got new countertops. 
Your greatest joy would not be your cabin, boat, gun, stock options, or your kid scores a goal. And that's all great. But that wouldn't be your greatest joy. Your greatest joy would be knowing that your family member or friend got their lives changed by Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 17, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God's not a killjoy. He gives us good things to enjoy. He's not against enjoying what we have and deer hunting and all those great things in life. He's not against that. But the verse goes on. He gives us all things to enjoy. So give generously out of that abundance to those in need so that you can have, here it is, so that you, those who give generously, can have life that is truly life. The greatest kind of life is when God uses you to reach others who need his love and forgiveness. Do it for the greatest joy on planet Earth. A changed life. I want to show you a video, and this video is what this church is all about. That's why I'm standing here today talking about what we're talking about. Watch this, then I'll come up and finish. My name is Jake, and I'm 38 years old. Um, in my younger years, I, I struggled pretty intensely with addiction, alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamines, pretty much anything that I could get my hands on, I would, I would try and dabble into, and of course, then become addicted to. And um, in the height of my addiction, I met this girl that I ended up falling in love with. But the dark side with it was that um, we were both addicts, and we both enabled one another Two years into our relationship, we found out that uh, she was pregnant. And um, at that point, we decided that we needed to get sober and to be the best parents we can be. And so on June 30th, 2006, I flushed the rest of my drugs and I've been sober ever since. My name is Nisha and I'm 30 years old. I graduated in 2006 from Coon Rapids High School and shortly after started long distance dating a guy from Florida. Um, I found out at 19 that I was pregnant and decided to make the decision to move from Minnesota to Florida to start a family. It was a very difficult time in my life, um, obviously being a young mother and then just being in a pretty toxic relationship where I was being physically abused and mentally abused, and it was an extremely bad situation. About 30 days after we found out my girlfriend was pregnant, I got a phone call that she had relapsed. And so she continued to use for the entire eight months, and it just tore me up inside because there was nothing that I could do. It was one of the most difficult times in my life. To know that my unborn child is having to go through this and fight this, and I'm not there to help him. I felt a lot of anger that this situation and this relationship wasn't working out. I didn't understand what was wrong with me, like why I couldn't be taken care of or couldn't be loved. To me, I just thought it should be simple, like, you know, like, we're together, we have a baby, let's love each other, love this baby, and raise him. But it's far from the truth. I was desperate. I did everything I could to try to get my girlfriend help. 
and that didn't seem to work. So I made a deal with the God I didn't believe in. If he would protect him when I couldn't, then I'd protect him when he was born. And it was a prayer I, I threw up to God every single night, and again, with no faith. With no faith, it was hard to believe. Finally, I had enough, and I made the decision to leave Florida and move back home. We didn't have anywhere to go. I had my car and my son and his pack and play and our clothes. I didn't have a job, and I was scared. I was 20 years old with a brand new baby, and just looking at him, hoping and praying that you could give him the world, you know? On March 19th, 2007, I stood in a delivery room, unsure of what was gonna happen. And that day, man, my son was born perfectly healthy, not addicted, and by God's grace, he gave me this child that I don't deserve. But he deserves to be here, and at that point, I just had to just live out the promise of those prayers that I threw up to God that if he would deliver me, this child that I would protect him, be the best dad that I could possibly be. In the middle of all the struggles that I had been going through, my best friend Jess invited me to Eagle Brook Church. I just remember sitting in the back of the church and just crying and feeling God move in ways that felt so good, it felt so real. I was such a broken girl, just looking for some love and looking for some hope. And I feel like Eagle Brook gave me that. I met Jake in 2009, and it kind of felt surreal that our stories were so similar. And he was somebody who understood the struggles of being a single parent. He understood the struggles of being in a, a bad relationship. And he understood what it was like to go through a custody battle and to feel completely scared and alone. She was a single mom, I was a single father, and so, we were able to really just kind of connect and, and really be on the same level in a lot of things. And you can ask Nisha what it was like when she first met me, how bitter of a man I was and how jagged my heart was. I wasn't letting anybody in. I wasn't opening up. I didn't have peace. I didn't have joy. There was no hope. I had been going to church a handful of times by myself. So one day I just decided to invite Jake and see if he would come along. Nisha invited me a couple times to go to Eagle Brook, and I figured I would go and, and give it a try. And, and so I sat there, and I just felt the message speaking directly into my heart. And the music and the worship, and I mean, it, it, it rocked me. Um, it hit my soul, and it just broke me down. And it, it, was, it was time. And I think it was about a month into me going to church, I, I had realized that I needed to turn my life over to God. Shortly after going to Eagle Brook, we both got baptized, and I started volunteering in the kids' ministry, 
Jake started volunteering for Quest 180. We both joined small groups and we both began tithing and everything started to fit together. So Jake and I got married in 2013 and it's been oh, so amazing. If you would have told me 10 years ago that my life would be what it is today, I would have never believed you. There's so much love, so much joy, and God's at the center of it all. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, blessed, messy life. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I think it's unbelievable the way that God works in your life. Um, and he writes the story better than you could ever write yourself. Looking back, I mean, someone actually paid for the seat that I just so happened to go and sit in. And what that person doesn't know. What that person doesn't know is the life that they've changed. They just don't have a clue that that seat was me and that I have a story and that I matter and that I have a wife and I have beautiful children and we're plugged in. You'll never know who that person was. But whoever it is, I, I thank them and I thank everybody that does give because it gave me a chance because I don't know where I'd be right now if someone didn't. I truly believe Eaglebrook saved my life. I am forever grateful for the person that gave me that chair when I was a single mom, trying to navigate some of the darkest parts of my heart, you know. Um, I owe it to God and I owe it to the church and the people that believe in this church um, that gave a girl like me a chance to be healed and to have a life of just constant Jesus is unbelievable. There are a lot of Jake and Nisha's out there that could use some love and could use some guidance. Um, and Eaglebrook has just given that to us. We're forever grateful. What's that worth? What price is worth the lives of Jake and Nisha and their three kids? Never gets old. Some of you know full well what it feels like to be hopeless and then to experience that ray of hope. I'm so grateful for what God is doing in their life. Um, how do you raise $25 million in two years so that we can continue to do this? Well, one way is for 30,000 people that attend and online, uh, if 30,000 of us would give $8 per week, which is like a latte, which I would never buy anyway, but $8 per week, that'd be $417 per year, we'd get there. But 30,000 
people won't do that because a lot of them are in a nursery and they're like two. <laughs> so they're, they're not going to give. So normally it, it works out something like this, and this is a giving chart. Uh, so 25 million over two years, you know, hopefully there's <laughs> a family or someone who can give two million. <laughs> Where are you? Are you? Are you here? <laughs> Actually, I think you are somewhere. And you can see the list here and on down and four at half a million, perhaps. A thousand at a thousand, so $500 a year. A lot of us can do that. Many of us under a thousand. Gang, we can do this. It's going to take some sacrifice. And, and there is a pain side to sacrifice. And some of you are sitting there thinking, how am I going to do this? Well, maybe some of you may, may need to delay something. Maybe you need, you know, you had this new car or this, you know, new item you wanted to get or you had a new upgrade in your home. And maybe, maybe you just need to delay that just a little bit so that you can be a part of something that God wants to do in your life as well. Maybe some of you need to downsize. I talked to a guy recently. He said, Bob, we've lived in excess way too long. So we're downsizing so we can become more generous. Maybe some of you need to drop something. You know, some of you, it's, it's not a problem. I, I get it, you know, but I see people with, you know, season tickets and two or three memberships and garages full of stuff, and there's nothing wrong with any of that unless it's preventing you from being generous toward things that God wants to do. But I'm telling you, there is a pain side to sacrifice for the joy that was set before him. He endured. He endured the cross. He took the pain. But there's a joy side. Do it for people like Jake and Nisha who said that God through this church saved their life and now their kids and their family have a chance for a great future. We met Jeff last week through video. Jeff uh, got invited to with our Wyzetta campus by his girlfriend, and Jeff is not a follower of Christ yet to his own admission. But he shows up and he serves every morning at Wyzetta, 5.30 in the morning to set up, and so Jeff's heart is open, and we're you know, just praying that God will, God will continue to lead him and nudge him. You know, Do it for people like Bobby. We also saw Bobby last week, and Married 17 years, her husband decided to just up and leave. Two small kids, working three jobs, at the end of her rope, got invited to our church, and now she's serving and she's finding new life and new hope, and there's a smile. You know, do it for people like Kip and Julie Vansgaard. I mentioned them earlier. You know, married them 31 years ago, and I just... They were a lot younger back then. <laughs> but to get the, the happy, boring life that God wants for all of us. And then this, this final one maybe represents your daughter who doesn't know God and could care less. Maybe it represents your son who's on a bad path and self-destructing. Could be your grandkids someday. Could be a mom or dad. Could be a friend or coworker. That if God would reach their life through this church or through some other way, it would be your greatest, greatest joy.
So real quickly, some of you are ready to make a commitment today, and we're asking that this would be above and beyond your normal giving. Uh, you know, Dave Ramsey talked about getting rid of debt. You got to take care of that. And Jason, last week, start tithing. Just give to God what belongs to him. This is over and above that. And some of you are like saying, Bob, I'm out. Man, I pray that someday you'll get to a point where you get in on the greatest joy on planet Earth. Be a part of something bigger than yourself. And sacrifice a little. All of us can do this, but some of you are ready. You know what your number is. If that's you, don't leave today without filling out a commitment card, a one-by-one card. Every one of you are gonna get one of these things as you leave today, so please grab one on the way out. And if you're ready, just take a little time to fill it out and leave it at the table, the one-by-one table. Others of you are ready to give, you wanna give, but you're like my wife and I. You need to talk about it. You need to pray about it. Take a week. Take 10 days, really bring it before God. God, how would you want us to respond? And by the end of November, please, by the end of November, let us know what you're, what you're going to do or planning to do. This isn't, you know, we're not gonna hold you to this. This is between you and God. But we would like to know, to, to know how to keep challenging ourselves and to get to that 25 million. It's by the end of November. Third group, you're not sure. And, you know, again, you, you're, you're, you sign up for FPU and you're, you're thinking about tithing now this. I would just ask that you pray about it. I believe every one of us can do something. Can do something. There's no greater investment. Here's three ways to do this. I don't know if we've showed the folks this. Bring that up, would you, again, just for my sake. Three ways to give. Stop by the table in all of our lobbies. Drop it in the mail or eaglebrookchurch.com slash one by one. Uh, by the end of November. Those of you online, just get online, do that very easy. By the way, our online service to you cost us five million. People gave. They committed. So that you could be a part of our church out of love. I love this church. I love you. I love what God is doing in your life. And I love what God is going to continue to do. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you're doing. And I thank you for it. Way to go, church. Love you guys. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. So God, I know this is a wrestling match in my own life. I am so tied to my money and my possessions and what I have planned. And I watch the numbers and God, I just, it's so hard to separate myself sometimes. And there is a pain side to sacrifice, but God, Thank you. Thank you for using me, for using this church. So many times I've wondered, why, why me? Why us? And God, you and I have had this conversation over and over, and you just remind me, why not you? If not your church, then what church is going to try to reach 
people. If not now, when? So Bob, stick with it. Eagle Brook, stick with it. The church is the hope of the world. God, we pray these things and we've talked about these things and we devote ourselves once again to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Watching online as well.